Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Today, I bring you a lost episode of the show. Now, I need to give a huge apology to our guest today. This interview was recorded in December of 2020 and somehow just never got published. About a week or so back, I was telling a friend that I had an episode on self-directed IRAs, and they got back to me saying that they couldn't find it. Then I realized that I couldn't find it. So I went ahead and I checked my computer and I still had all the audio and it just never saw the light of day. So this week is going to be a very special episode and what I hope will be the first and last lost episode of the Main Street Finance Podcast. I will be talking with Jason DeBono, who is the president of the New View Trust. And I will be talking with Jason about what a self-directed IRA is and what the benefits of self-directed IRAs are over a more traditional brokerage IRA. So with all of that out of the way, Let's go ahead and with the magic of editing, talk to someone who is eight months in the past. So Jason, after this very long wait, I am happy to say welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Alex. Oh, absolutely. I'm just glad I was able to find some time to get on your schedule. So Jason, let's go first question right off the bat. You mind going into maybe a little bit of what you do for a living? Oh, man. Well, I guess I'll start with those that are uh, followers of the old Friends uh, sitcom series. My sister refers to me as Chandler, uh, which is kind of the guy that no one really knows exactly what he does. And and that's because I work in an industry that's a little bit unknown and a little bit new. But uh, my day-to-day job is to oversee the, the business and operations uh, of a self-directed retirement account custodian. And simply put, that means we help people use their retirement money to invest into assets outside of publicly traded securities, things like real estate, private notes, private mortgages, uh, private equity, that sort of thing. So yeah, overall, we're, we're, uh, we're not investment advisors or counselors. We're simply custodians and, and we give people choice. Okay, doke. So custodian, that's the one that I really want to hop on because I've done several episodes now on retirement accounts and what kind of things you can get into. So let's go into a little bit for the audience. What is a custodian and maybe what do they do? And you said it's not an advisor. So I guess the question would be, what does a custodian do that maybe is different from what an advisor would do? Yeah, and that's a great question. And and in, in the world of investment, a lot of the roles of the parties are all put together. So you go to an advisor and they provide you all the services, but they're behind the scenes, there's multiple groups performing those services. The real distinction between an advisor and a custodian is an advisor is giving you guidance and expertise from a strategy, structure, investment standpoint. A custodian is holding the assets and doing the reporting to the applicable parties. So our job is to provide you as the customer a consolidated statement and reporting mechanism. And it's also to do all the tax reporting on behalf of your account to the IRS. So an advisor would have a custodian that services the custodial side of their accounts. Uh, You just may not see that directly, but indirectly through the advisor, they're performing that service through a third party. Gotcha. So just to make sure I've got that right. Basically, we have an advisor, you know, sits down with you, quote unquote, maybe holds your hand, talks about some things, does some planning. Here's what we're thinking about doing. What do you think? Or here's where we think where you should be going. Custodian's the one sort of in the back room actually doing the work, going in, filing some stuff for the IRS, actually handling all the moving parts of your investments, or just following that plan that you may or may not have made with an advisor. Yeah, that's a very good depiction for sure. And I just thought about that off the top of my head. (laughs) 
So one of the things you had mentioned is that you were a custodian for IRAs. You said that there were some private notes, some private mortgages, and even just some real estate investments. Would you mind going into a little bit of that? Because I'm pretty sure that is all stuff that does not come standard with a 401k. Well, you know, I think the easiest way to kind of start breaking that down is really to look at it under two different uh, ideas. One is the account, right? So that's the type of plan that you select. And then the second part is the investments that you make inside that plan. And again, you know, Wall Street has a way of combining all this stuff together because it makes it easier. And honestly, it benefits them to own the whole relationship. In the real investing world, you do not have to select the types of assets that Schwab and Fidelity and TD Ameritrade offer inside retirement accounts. So when we think about how most people invest their 401ks or IRAs is they have them at a brokerage house, again, Schwab, TD, Fidelity, all great companies. And then through any one of those companies, they'll give you a, you know, access to every publicly traded stock bond and mutual fund. Where NewView comes in and what, what third-party trust companies do that are custodians like us is we're not tied to any sort of, of asset class. So we don't have any tie to the brokerage accounts. We don't have a tie to the, the stock exchanges. So for us, we can custody any sort of retirement account, IRA, right? 401k as a general rule. But more importantly, once you have an account with us, you can go buy the investments that you deem best for your account. And where we add our value is for people that don't want to buy stocks and bonds with their money, they want to buy something outside of, of the you know traditional um, Wall Street-based investments. So Again, most of the customers that come to us are buying real estate, they're buying private notes and mortgages, they're buying into private equity, uh, they're doing cryptocurrency, precious metals, uh, but they're buying asset classes that don't have a ticker symbol. Gotcha. So just to summarize, there's a lot of information and look, I'm going to be straight up with the audience here. Usually I have an outline and I kind of have an idea what questions I'm going to ask our guests. Today is different because I've never really messed with self-directed IRA. So these are all questions I'm thinking of in the moment. <laughs> so just to summarize, make sure I've got the right mental picture in my head and probably the same for the audience. So the main difference between a 401k and an IRA is that a 401k, all the investment options are decided for you. They are put in a pre-selected offering of between 20 or 30 things. With an IRA, which traditional or Roth doesn't matter, with an IRA, you're able to purchase any stock, bond, whatever that's on the stock market. But with a self-directed IRA, and with the benefits that you get for going with NewView Trust or any other sort of self-directed IRA custodian, you guys can really hold on to anything, not just something that you know Schwab or TD Ameritrade would have where there's a ticker symbol for it. Is that more or less there? It is, and, and maybe one extra caveat to add is the, the, the difference between 401ks and IRAs are two-part. One is the plan itself is a group plan, whereas IRAs are individual plans. And the second key difference is, is that any investment limitations put when you mentioned the 20 to 30 choices, those are put at the group level. So if we kind of step back and look at this, every investment decision that you make, somebody is putting restrictions on it. In a self-directed IRA, the custodian has no restrictions, but what the IRS limits, and that's only life insurance and collectible. So kind of starting with maximum choice, if you were to come to NewView, you can buy anything that the IRS allows, which is basically everything but life insurance and collectible. If you go to a standard IRA through a brokerage firm, they're going to put restrictions that your account can only access assets that are on their platform, which would be stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. 
In a 401k, because it's a group plan, the group can add additional restrictions on top of that. So when you go to a group plan and there's only 20 investment choices, if you're an employee of AT&T, it's AT&T that's putting those investment restrictions on you, not the firm that's holding the account. All these layers of uh, restrictions are based on the type of account you have and who has the, the control over the decisions. Once you leave a 401k plan, meaning you're no longer an employee of that company, you are no longer bowed by the group plan rules. They can't hold you hostage if you're not an employee. So when you have a 401k through an old employer, the best thing you can ever do is roll it over to an IRA. Even if it's at Schwab into a standard IRA, at least you'll go from 20 investments to the full stock bond and mutual fund market. If you want choice beyond the stock bond and mutual fund market, then you need to go to a self-directed IRA, which is what's going to allow you to have both Wall Street product, but all of the Main Street product that you can identify as well. Okay. I say I think I, I think I'm getting it now. Now, if I can offer a rather crude metaphor, because this is just how I'm visualizing it, just hearing you explain it. Sort of like the employer versus a self-directed IRA custodian is sort of like two parents that have different parenting styles. Now, bear with me here, because this is convoluted. So you might have a dad who just is really uptight. Like, hey, you can do this, this, or this with your life. You could be a doctor or a lawyer, whatever. That's it. That's all you can do. But when you go and you're hanging out with mom, mom says you can do absolutely anything you want. Do whatever. Whatever makes you happy. Now, that metaphor being that your employer is the one saying, okay, look, there are what, 6,000 publicly traded stocks in the U.S.? It's like, all right, you can pick 30 of these. Just just these 30. Here's the box. You pick from what's in here, and then you go over to mom, and mom's like, oh, it's whatever you want, <laughs> more or less. So it, yeah, I mean, your metaphor is is right on, although I think that makes me mom technically, uh, so I'm not sure I'm 100% in, in, uh, in agreement with it, but I, I get the idea. Well, I couldn't call you daddy. Well, fair <laughs> enough, and, and as, a, as, a, uh, as a parent of two kids, um, you know, I always like to think I'm the fun one, you know, and, and uh, that's my job in the relationship is to put the big red nose on and, and make the kids laugh. But I guess in this scenario, I'll, I, I'll talk from the lens of mom, but you, you're very apt in your analogy because it's true. I mean, it, it, they're decisions that are made and they're made based on either opportunity to earn money or liability. And what we're seeing now that's much different Historically, when you had a, a 401k plan, there was always concern about risk, right? Because if I'm AT&T and I have 5,000 employees, I have to worry about the least educated employee that I have making a bad investment and suing me and saying I shouldn't have let them do it. And this is what happens when attorneys get involved in stuff is it causes us more harm than good. So they shrunk down to such a very isolated number of, of assets that it'd be very hard for you to say, I'm suing you because you let me do too much. Uh, that's the risk. It's a little bit of mother may I. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that's the way 401ks have become. The reason that the Schwabs and Fidelities of the world don't let you buy real estate is really because they just can't monetize it. No differently than the reason that McDonald's doesn't sell you tacos. You know, it's not their business model and they haven't monetized it. And it's not a bad thing. So if you want a taco, go to Taco Bell. You want a burger, go to McDonald's. And, and we kind of use the same metaphor in, in the investment world. If you want a stock bond and mutual fund, go to Schwab and Fidelity. Don't come to me. I'm not going to add any value for you. But if you want to buy something that's not on their menu, that's on ours, then you know you need to come over to uh, to us and let us assist you with those assets. Okay. So 
first question. I have the question I really want to ask you, and then I got the one that has a 20-second answer. So I'm going to ask the one that maybe is out of order, but is the quicker answer. So for a self-directed IRA, do you get to choose if those are the tax treatment? Do you get to choose if they're traditional or Roth, or is it? are you strictly one or the other? In every single account that you ever choose, regardless of your investments, you always get to choose if you have pre-tax or post-tax, traditional or Roth money. Choice is always yours, no matter who your custodian is. Even in a 401k, that choice is yours. Okay. So just to make sure I got this right, if I have, say, all my money's in a Roth 401k, and then I lose my job, go to a different job, but you know what? That Roth money, maybe I could do something better with it than the 20 or 30 options of, hey, here's the box of choices, pick one, or pick however many you want. So if I, in that situation, you know, leave my job, go to a different spot, I could take that Roth 401k, turn it into a Roth self-directed IRA, find myself a custodian such as the New View Trust, and basically can do whatever I want with it and still get that after-tax treatment. You bet. That's the overall beauty of retirement accounts. And we haven't even scratched the surface on the benefits of tax savings and tax advantage and compound growth. But yes, once you put your retirement money into an account, it can stay that way for the life of that, regardless of the investment choices that you make within it. Okay. So you see, I had said there was a 20 second answer, but really it was a 20 second question and a five second answer. <laughs> yeah. Some of these are very, are, are straightforward. And when it comes to tax treatment, you know, it, it is the hardest to understand, but it's actually the easiest part of the code. Well, hot diggity. I love easy part of the tax code. There's not many of those. For the, anyone who hasn't looked through the IRS, either publications or the actual tax code itself, uh, having some easy stuff is a blessing. It is. <laughs> so we know that if we're going to a self-directed IRA, we can basically do anything with it. Uh, unless, of course, it's investing in anything illegal or insurance, which, you know, I like having those two next to each other because it's my show. So I'm going to do that. So let's talk about real estate. Real estate is something I have a lot of interest in, and I'm sure there's got to be a couple people in my audience who have the same feeling. So what would be the benefit of buying real estate with a self-directed IRA as opposed to just going out and buying it, forming an LLC, and just not doing it this way? There's a lot of complexities to that answer, um, and I'll, I'll do my best to kind of break it down into two parts. The first decision that you have to make before you consider whether you should buy it personally or not, the first decision you have to look at is, do I have money saved in a retirement account of, of any kind? If so, what's that money being invested into? So if you're investing into the stock, you know, bond and mutual fund markets, and it's either stuff you don't know much about, so you have no way to kind of gauge return, you may be making money, but you have no idea how or why. And I think most people in 2020 with the market up would all say, I'm making money, but at the end of the day, I don't have a clue why, right? <laughs> You know, and if you don't know why, you can't duplicate it. So that's short term. To me, if you don't know why you're making it or losing it, that's blackjack, right? That's gambling. You don't know what the next card is, a little bit of chance, right? That's exactly what people do in the stock market. Real estate provides an alternative to the stock market. It doesn't make it a better investment, but for a lot of people, they understand it better. They know it. They can feel it, see it, touch it. Uh, it's easy for me to understand that if I buy a house for $200,000 and it rents for $2,000 a month, right? And I rent it 80% of the time, I can make an 8% return if I have moderate expenses. I can do that math in my head. I can't look at any single stock and go, 
if this company does X, Y, and Z, which I have zero control over, I'm going to make X, Y, and Z because it's so disjoint from reality. And to give you perspective, in today's environment, at the tail end of 2020, the world is saying that Tesla, with $350 million of net profit in the most the most poorly utilized gap accounting standards of counting future revenues as today is worth more, significantly more than Walmart, who has over $100 billion of net profit. You can't tell me anyone with half a brain would ever pay more for Tesla than they would for Walmart. We're buying not even on speculation anymore because you overpay a tad on speculation. We're paying 50 and 100x what a company is worth today. And no one with half a brain would ever do that. But the market says, buy Tesla and you're going to double your money and, and investors are doing it. And the problem with that methodology is someone will get left holding the bag at some point. So I digress on that. But if that's where your money is, and that's what you're told you have to invest into, real estate simply provides an alternative that you have more control over and most likely more experience over. So that's decision one. Once that decision's made, then you're deciding, I got money to invest, is stock or real estate a better investment? In a perfect world, if you have assets inside and outside an IRA, then it is deal specific as to whether or not you should buy that property inside or outside the account. The reason you'd buy it outside is depends on your tax situation, depends on the property, depends on the type of earnings you're going to get from it. The reason you'd buy it inside is maybe it's short term and short term is capital gains tax. And so you can save money because in an IRA, you pay no capital gains tax. So there's some major tax benefits to buy inside the IRA versus outside, but every property is a little bit different. So decision one, do I have IRA money I need to invest? And if so, stocks and bonds or real estate. And then decision two is if real estate is my desired investment, is buying it inside an IRA or outside an IRA better? And, and that's something you got to look at case by case. Fair enough. I mean, I asked some fairly complex questions. And I mean, you can tell because I take 45 seconds to ask the question. But I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of the answers to this stuff is it depends. But I think you went above and beyond in giving that answer. So I thank you for that. I should have brought you on here just to talk about real estate. But you know what? <laughs> We're going to stick with the subject at hand. So we were talking about the benefits of buying within the IRA versus buying outside of the IRA. So a question I had before we even get that deep, which, you know, we already have, but you know what, sometimes you just got to go backwards. How hard is it to take your IRA or your 401k and turn that into a self-directed IRA? Like, is there a long process? Are there hoops you got to jump through? What, what does that look like? Well, the process is easy. Um, there are some steps uh, and it's different from 401k to IRA than it is from IRA to self-directed IRA. So if you have a 401k, uh, you must either be retired or no longer working for the company. So quit, get fired or retire, but you've, you have a severance of employment to be eligible to roll it over. So if you're an active employee at AT&T, you cannot roll that account over to a self-directed IRA as a general rule. There's very few exceptions to that. But once you're no longer employed there, that choice is yours. Uh, the process to do that is simple. You open up an account at the custodian you want to move it to, and then you, as the employee or former employee, go to AT&T or to whoever's holding the plan and request a rollover, and they'll move it over to us. Typically takes a week to two weeks from start to finish. If you have an IRA at a brokerage firm, Schwab, Fidelity, et cetera, and you want to move it to a self-directed IRA, then it's actually a little bit easier you, because there is no employment restriction. You can move it at any time at your discretion. So when that's the case, you would come to Newview, you'd fill out our application and a transfer form. 
Newview in this case would actually go on your behalf to Schwab, Fidelity, and get the money or request the transfer. And then Schwab would send those assets over to us at your request. That typically is a week to two weeks as well. There can be some slowdowns, but generally start to finish, it's uh, you know a couple sets of paperwork, three or four documents, and, uh, and a couple of weeks. So it's sounding like doing a rollover to a self-directed IRA versus just to a regular IRA or to your 401k at your new employer, it sounds like it's exactly the same process. Yeah, there's no difference. Oh, well, okay. I would have thought it might have been harder because usually the more fun stuff has a lot more quote unquote fun paperwork. Yeah. You know, keep in mind that when you move your account from one custodian to the next, a self-directed account is really, uh, it's not an actual type of account. It's just a moniker that we use that says you get to go choose. But when you open an IRA with me, you're going to open a traditional IRA or a Roth, a simpler set, just like you would at Schwab. The account is identical because those are set by the IRS. What you're really buying from me that you can't buy from Schwab is access to investments beyond Wall Street. Outside of that, your account decision is identical and therefore the process is the same, but you hit something that is very important and you're absolutely right. When you wanna buy a stock, it's a click of a button. When you wanna buy a piece of real estate, it is not a click of a button. So the process to move your account to someone like Newview is identical, it's simple. You're gonna go through the same process you would at Schwab. But when you want to go make a self-directed investment into a Main Street-based product versus Wall Street, then yes, you are going to to, uh, encounter some additional paperwork and document responsibilities because each transaction type has its own level of paperwork associated with it. Going off of that same vein of maybe paperwork or process differences, what would be the difference of contributing to a self-directed IRA versus a normal IRA? Like just same process, write a check? Yeah, same process. Write a check. Limits are the same. You don't, you can't contribute any more to a self-directed account than you can to a, you know, a standard IRA at a brokerage firm. So, process is identical. So, another question I wanted to ask you that I've had here for a second now is, what do the individual custodians of self-directed IRAs bring to the table? Like, do y'all help match investors with what they want to invest in, or do y'all strictly provide the monitoring? So, from a straight custodial standpoint. Uh, We do not play matchmaker. We do not provide investment advice, counsel, or guidance or recommendations. So our firm exclusively is a custodian. We perform no other services. Therefore, uh, it is up to you to find your own investments, identify and evaluate them. Once you have found them, we do work with you uh, to facilitate the purchase and go through that process. So we're here to hold your hand once you've identified your investment. But prior to that, that's up to you and, and any professionals that you want to surround yourself with to uh, uh, to help you and guide you in that process. Gotcha. So it's not like I could open up an account and then say, hey, got any good private notes I could invest in? No. And, <laughs> and there are companies out there that, that kind of, you know, unfortunately, the Internet is a great place, but it can also be a very confusing place, right? I mean, the information age, uh, you know, if you want something to be true or false, just look on enough websites and it'll be true on some and false on others, right? I mean, you can make it what you want. The, the hard part about self-directed accounts, there's a lot of different information out there. Now, I will not suggest that I am the expert end-all, be-all, uh, you know, uh, North Star of information, but I will say we are a true full service independent regulated custodian. We have no interests other than being custodian. Most of the people that are in between us, custodian and you, the client, third parties will put themselves out there and they will share information to be fact and and generally it's not fact. So for example, there are companies that will play matchmaker for you. 
And they will say, self-direct your IRA, we'll help you make investments. That's what we do. That's the, our job. But that's really, they're not a custodian. They're simply a facilitator. And you got to be very careful um, because those groups are not regulated. There is no oversight of them, but they kind of hide under the cloak of what we do as custodians. And it gives people uh, this impression that, oh, well, if they're going to tell me to go buy this note and they're going to refer me over to NewView to, to be my custodian, they kind of assume NewView is a reputable company. So they're reputable you know, by trade. And, and the, the reality is that's not the case. Not to say there's not good facilitators out there that can help you, but just be very careful. There are a lot of people that we have seen try to step into the shoes of a custodian or put themselves out or hide under the guise of the custodial regulation when they are absolutely not regulated and their behavior would suggest they're not regulated. Gotcha. And I'm glad you're saying all that because actually the episode that's going to come out the week before this one or possibly two weeks before this one is agency theory with advisors. You know, the potential, you know, how can they go behind your back and something bad happen to you? So I'm glad you brought up that because, you know, these kinds of risks do exist in the financial system. This sounds like it could be a lot like the you go to an advisor and say, hey, so by the way, you're a fiduciary, right? And they say, oh, well, we're going to act in your best interest. Okay, yes or no. Are you a fiduciary? It's like, oh, are you a custodian? Oh, well, we're going to work with you. We're going to help you get your stuff. Just go sign up with that account over at NewView and we'll get this taken care of. Okay, but are you a custodian that is regulated? <laughs> yep. I love that commentary because that that is the the thing about due diligence most people don't do. And you hit it on the head with advisors and it's no different in our industry. People pray when it comes to people's money, they pray on the ill-informed. And there's a lot of power in people with money not knowing what they're doing. And uh, unfortunately, that's an invitation for fraud and it happens regularly. And we see it a lot. You know, we get calls from customers that'll say, you know, I bought this investment from, you know, Bill Smith and he's not returning my calls. And we're like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know who he is. And they're like, well, he doesn't work for you. We're like, no, he, you know, it's like, well, he said he works with you guys all the time. And, you know, we have to be very forthcoming with our customers and we want not, we don't want to hide behind the fact we don't give advice. We want to be clear. We don't give advice. Do your own due diligence. Anyone that pretends that they're giving you advice, make sure you're verifying and validating. Are they qualified for that advice? And, and are they licensed, right? Are they best interest? Are they fiduciary? I mean, where are you getting it from? And it's, uh, it's scary and it's sad all at the same time. I apologize for being a tad bit long-winded, but I have kind of a, a saying internally and in, uh, over the years is I don't have any sort of feeling of disappointment internally when people lose money because an investment went bad, because that's what investing is. They're not all winners. There's winners and losers. So for me, I don't lose sleep or anything because at the end of the day, investments go up and investments go down, right? There is risk associated with them. But nothing makes me more empathetic and, and makes my heart just bleed than when I hear somebody that got ripped off because that, that's not a bad investment. That's a bad person. And, you know, there is nothing worse in my eyes than bad people. And when it comes to taking money from others, that's the lowest form of life that exists. And unfortunately, uh, we can say how bad they are, but they're out there. And if, if, if you don't open your eyes and you don't do your due diligence and your research, you very well could be doing business with someone that's ready to take your money and run as fast and as far as they can. Absolutely. And look, you never have to apologize on this show for being long winded. I mean, you've seen some of these questions that I'm asking. <laughs> taking like a minute and a half to ask a single yes or no question. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but I do agree with you. Like there is a lot of shiftiness that can be in this industry, which is why I'm very proud to be part of a group of people that, you know, 
bloggers, podcasters that go out there to try to put this information out for as many as possible to try to catch as many people before they get caught. Like, I love quotes. Like, I have a bunch memorized I go through, especially from college, just because, you know, it's the formative years. But one of the quotes that's probably the most downright dirty that I think I've ever heard is I want to say it was in like a marketing class when they were talking about people that are, you know, preying on others. It was something like, your money is in their pockets. It's your job as a salesman to get it out of their pocket and into yours. And I just yep. heard that. I'm like, that's not marketing. That's that's fishing. That's how do I put this hook in front of them and get someone to bite it? Yeah. Now, you know, I, I think there's a, unfortunately, money creates greed and, and greed uh, is what crosses lines. And uh, my, my one of my favorite money quotes is Warren Buffett. And, and he says, return of investment is better than return on investment and so many people get lured into a 10 or 12 or 20 percent return and they think that's all that matters and i can pay you 20 percent for two years on 100 grand i'm going to give you forty thousand bucks if i don't give you your 100 grand back you lost 60. <laughs> right i mean th at the end of all of this getting your money back is always better than than just getting some return on that investment so one of the many many great warren buffett quotes for sure absolutely i think at some point i gotta get a book with just warren buffett quotes <laughs> All right, now we've gone a little bit dark and bleak on this path here, but let's let's go with something a little bit more fun. And by fun, I of course mean taxes. So you had made a comment earlier about the benefits of the tax treatment of having a self-directed IRA. Now, I would have a more specific question for you, but unfortunately, I don't even know what you're talking about besides just the regular pre-tax or post-tax treatment. So would you mind going a little bit into the tax benefits of a self-directed IRA? Yeah, and, and, and we can take the self-directed off because the tax benefits of IRAs are the same regardless of your asset class. But I'll illustrate, and, and I love that we've got a, a younger audience because I think the, the sooner in your life that you can learn about compound interest, the better. So I'll start by saying Albert Einstein is quoted if we're running down this quote track. Albert Einstein once said that compound interest is the greatest invention on earth. And obviously he was part of lots of great inventions. So for him to be able to say that speaks volumes but I'm gonna illustrate what it means. So I don't know if I've coined this, I just use it all the time and, and I don't know if I robbed it or stole it from someone, I guess a quick Google search would tell me that, but my philosophy with money is very simple. When you focus on your investments, you're investing to make money. When you couple good investments with good tax strategy, you're focused on building wealth. So regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, the fact that Donald Trump paid no money in taxes, assuming that he didn't commit fraud, because I, I'll assume that, right? But the fact he paid no taxes means he used the tax code to his benefit. And we as individual taxpayers, probably none of us will ever in our lifetime have the amount of accountants and tax professionals that Donald Trump has working in his camp. And we maybe never want to. But we do have readily available tax tools that can help us build wealth versus simply making money. So I'll illustrate why tax benefits make all the world a difference, because this is lost money that nobody sees. So Alex and Jason are both on this call. We're two different people, but we're going to make the identical investment. Yet one of us is going to end up with significantly more money. So we're both going to take a dollar today and we're going to put it into an investment that doubles every year for the next 20 years. So keep in mind that as of right now, we are making the same investment for the same amount of time with the same return, all things equal, right? 
Jason is going to make that dollar investment in his personal name in his taxable account because that's what Jason, a run-of-the-mill individual in American, does. He doesn't know the difference. He's focused on doubling his money every year, and so he thinks return, return, return. He's making money. 20 years from now, I'm going to sit around with a bunch of my friends, and they're all going to pat me on the back when I tell them that 20 years ago, I took a dollar on a show with Alex, and I put it into an investment that doubled every 20 years, and I've got $72,000 to show for it. And everyone at the table is going to go, holy smokes, you turned a buck into 72 grand, high fives, drinks all around. Everyone thinks I'm an investment genius. However, at a much nicer place, somewhere around the corner, Alex is sitting with his buddies. Alex put the same dollar in the same investment. So remember, we did nothing different. But Alex didn't pay 25% tax every year like I did on his return. Because Alex took the dollar, put it into his Roth IRA, and then made the same investment. And 20 years from now, when Alex is sitting around with his friends, right, and he's telling them, guess what, guys? I took a buck 20 years ago, and I turned it into just over a million dollars. Now, I want everyone to really think about what I just said. Same date, same time horizon, same amount, same investment return. Yet Alex has a million $48,000, and Jason has $72,000. That is the invisible partner that you have on every investment that you make when you do not create tax efficiency. And nobody's aware of it because there is a lot of power in us being ill-informed. The 1% wants the 99% to not know how to become the 1%. Otherwise, the 1% becomes the 10 and 20%, and it's not an exclusive class anymore. But if you want to make money, think that the way to get there is investing. If you want to build wealth, understand that the way to get there is by investing with as best of tax efficiency as possible. So to recap in very simple terms, if you make an investment in an IRA, it can same investment can yield you literally almost a million dollars more over a 20-year period simply by doing it in a tax-advantaged account. And if that doesn't illustrate the power of why you should have a retirement account and make every investment you possibly can that's good inside that account, I don't know that we'll ever get through to him, Alex. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe when I get to episode 100 or 200, maybe then we'll, we'll start hammering it. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, having your money in a tax-advantaged account, just, what was, the, what was the quote? So in my last episode, or at least my last interview, I had talked to a gentleman, and he actually was the interview that published today. He had mentioned that you need to disinherit the IRS. And I absolutely Great. love that phrase. All right, hold on. Legally disinherit the IRS using yep. approved strategies. <laughs> like, I heard that, and that's been my quote for the week. Just, oh, yeah, just disinherit the IRS. Why not? Because, I mean, at that point, they're a partner. Anything you do, they're going to come in, hand out. They're going to want their, depending on your tax bracket, what, 10, 12, 25, 30%. But, like, okay, well, what did you do? <laughs> I'm sitting here and put my money at risk. You didn't risk your money. Why you get a third of it? Putting your money in a tax-advantaged account. Aha. Now, all of a sudden, Merry Christmas. You get to keep it. Yep. And it, it's readily available. I think that's the part that's amazing is, you know, I, I use Donald Trump, and obviously that's a very polarizing example. But I use that example because it illustrates how hard it is to really understand the value of tax savings and tax benefits and, and we kind of think that tax savings are for the wealthy and you got to be a billionaire with a whole team and slew of people. And the reality is you don't. IRAs are readily available to every single American today. 
that has earned income. I mean, there's no restriction. So it is the best tax tool, wealth building tool that's readily available at our disposal. Yet most people don't realize what they're giving up by not putting money into it. And, and that's that silent partner. And I love that disinheriting the IRS because that's exactly right. Every deal you do in your personal name, you got a partner, whether you think you're the only investor in that deal or not, Uncle Sam will take his slice every single time. Absolutely. The the silent ghost that every time you're successful taps you on the shoulder and goes, hey, uh, where's mine? Yep. <laughs> All righty, Jason. So one more thing I have for you, and that is when selecting a self-directed IRA custodian, is there anything specifically that you should look for when you're selecting which one you'd want to do business with or open an account with? Yeah, I mean, there's always, uh, you know, criteria that somebody should use to evaluate a, a firm, especially someone that you're going to give your money to. So the first thing is, you know, we always suggest is how long have they been in business? You know, how are they regulated? Because remember, we talked earlier, some people put on a facade of regulation. How are they regulated? Uh, you know, under what governing body? How long have they been in business? How many assets do they hold? And then, you know, that's the first starting point, right? After that, then I think it depends on how you want to be served as a customer. So if you want to be able to do everything online, does their system and platform allow that? If you want to get a hold of someone to pick up the phone, you know, we always tell everyone, you should call every single operations team of, of anyone that you're considering, not the sales team. Salespeople are incentivized to answer the phone, but call the operations folks, pick up the phone and call and you know, we pride ourselves on answering 98% of the calls inside of 60 seconds. So, you know, but we deal with other companies and we sit on hold sometimes for 12, 15, 20, 30 minutes. So, you know, for some people, if you're never going to pick up the phone, it doesn't matter. If that's important to you, then you need to make sure and validate that. An hour or two of, of review and you should be able to get quite a bit of information. Lastly is what type of investor are you? Do you know exactly what you want to do and you just need someone to hold it? Or are you looking for someone that's going to, you know, have people available to walk you through the process? Do you need educational content? Uh, you know, do you need ideas not on what to invest into, but strategies of things that people do, asset classes? So all of those things would factor into it. Uh, and then lastly is, you know, the, the Internet's a great place for peer-to-peer -peer reviews. You know, what does the interweb say? You know, what are other customers putting out there? And, and uh, that should certainly be a bit of, uh, of your review process. Okay. Do self-directed IRA custodians, are they listed with FINRA? Are they a part of the BrokerCheck platform? A self-directed custodian is not. FINRA and, and BrokerCheck and all of those platforms are advisory based. So we're not licensed to sell securities, which is really what, what those governing bodies do. Every single custodian, and there's a very clear word of custodian, should be a regulated body in a particular state in the United States. So, for example, we are a South Dakota chartered public trust company. We are regulated by the South Dakota Division of Banking. And South Dakota is uh, home to the most self-directed custodians in the nation. And it just has to do with their understanding of the type of business we're in, you know, from a regulatory standpoint. But you could be domiciled in any state. So we chose South Dakota like most other custodians in our business. But there's a few that are domiciled outside of South Dakota. There are a lot of companies that will hold your money and they are administrators. That means that they have a custodian behind the scenes. So you interface with the administrator and then the administrator interfaces with the custodian. There's nothing wrong with that relationship. We used that structure many years ago ourselves, um, but you wanna be very careful. You wanna understand, is there indemnification? Is the custodian on the hook or is the administrator? Um, because the stark difference between us is 
as a custodian, we are regulated financially. So our financials are reviewed and audited. We go through audits with the division of banking. We have capital requirements, meaning we have money sitting in an account pledged to the state of South Dakota. We have to have certain standards on insurance policies, all these things that are geared to keep you, the consumer, as safe as possible should our business go defunct. Administrators are not held to any of those standards. So in the event that administrator goes belly up, you know, I won't say there's automatic risk because the account still may be intact and they can just be transferred to another custodian. But uh, you want to make very, very clear in, in all of your due diligence. And the first question you should ask is, how are you regulated and by what body? And if they can't answer that very pointedly and very clearly, I would hang up the phone and call the next group. Fair enough. <laughs> so state regulated. I would not have thought of that. I would have thought investment related like there'd be some division under the SEC or some industry group where, but okay, state by state. Good to know. Yeah. And, and believe it or not, Schwab and TD and, and their regulations are mostly state as well. Uh, in fact, Citibank has a trust charter in South Dakota. So there's a lots of ways to operate, but yeah, there is no actual federal custodial regulatory body. Go figure. Well, I don't know. It could be a good thing or a bad thing. On one hand, you don't have the regulator, but on the other hand, it hasn't been a problem. Right. <laughs> it's not like you have the banking industry who has, like in my bank, we got like five different organizations that run through every year that all want to see the same stuff and all are regulating us by slightly different metrics, but mostly the same thing versus yep. the banking industry has failed a couple times in history. Not recently. It's happened. So I don't know. I kind of I kind of like the idea that there is no federal regulator for it. But at the same time, it's. I don't know. I'm leaning more towards I like that there's no regulatory body because that to me means, well, there's not as much risk. Yeah, there's probably a lot of truth to that. Um, and, and keep in mind that banks are regulated the way they are because they take depositors money and they go invest it and put it at risk. And so if they lose the capital on their end, they got to have the cash to give back to their client. We're just a custodian that facilitates and holds assets. So there's no capital risk on any of the deposits that you make with us as custodian like there are at a bank. So that's the inherent difference. Um, and, and probably to your point, why there isn't as much need for regulation, because what we do uh, as a company doesn't create as much risk as what a bank does. Fair enough. And so with that, I've about gone through all the questions I had. Did you have maybe something else that you wanted to throw out there or something else you wanted to mention to the audience before we start closing out? You know, I don't think so, Alex. I think we've done uh, a, a good job of navigating through, uh, even got a little off topic and worked our way back a couple of times. So I, I think we've given them enough to chew on for today. Oh, I'll have you know, I am very skilled at going backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, Jason, where can my audience go to find out more about you and the New View Trust? Easiest place to start is our website, uh, newviewtrust.com. That's N-U-View, trust.com. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of education there. We, we host a lot of educational content. We record and, and uh, provide a lot of educational content. If you want to reach us, all of our contact info is on the, the website as well. Uh, we have chatbots and all the, the standard things that are available today. Uh, if you want to reach me directly, um, you can do so by emailing me at Jason, uh, spelled out J-A-S-O-N, at newviewtrust, with a U, uh, newviewtrust.com. And, uh, and I'll, I get those and, and uh, love hearing from people in the audience and uh, love answering questions. And I tend to, to sometimes cause more confusion. And, uh, and so sometimes the questions are necessary just to clarify. And if that's the case today, uh, fire away. Or if you have some scenarios or strategies or ideas, 
Uh, remember, I can't give investment advice, but I can certainly tell you what I've seen in the past and what we've seen clients do. Absolutely. And I got to think, you're probably the one expert that I've talked to that I haven't had to give a bunch of disclosures. <laughs> like warning, Jason may be an advisor, but he's not your advisor. Don't sue him because he's not giving you specific advice. He's giving general advice for educate. Well, here I go doing it again. I'm just so practiced at it. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely come with our, you know, early on when I first started doing this, I kind of felt like they were disclaimers. Like I felt like, oh gosh, do I really need to cover this? You know, and, and the more and more that I've done this over the years, the more and more I actually embrace the disclaimers because they're not bad. They're good. You know, mo more companies should lead with disclaimers to be clear what they don't do. Um, you know, we want informed customers. The last thing I want is a customer to come here and do something, you know, bad and then tell me that they thought we did something else. I mean, no client could ever say they thought we provide advice because it's pretty darn clear in everything we do that we don't. And, and we do that by design for sure. Well, hot diggity. If you ask me, that's just the mark of a fair company. Just, hey, look, we're telling you this not to be shifty. Like, we're not playing it at triple time speed of the person reading it and then putting the volume really low. Like, look, we're telling you straight up, look, we don't give you advice. And that's not because we hate you and we've got secrets that we don't want to tell you. That's because, look, you got to be your own investor. Like, we can't tell you what to invest in. So, yep. yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> got to love the disclaimers, though. And so with that... Do you have maybe a last second, some words of wisdom that you'd like to leave the audience with? Yeah, I'll split it into two things. Um, one is educate yourself. I can't say it enough. Uh, you know, I, I know the audience here is kind of just getting started, you know, out of school and really trying to figure out how to deal with money. The best part of my job, candidly, and, and I've been here over 15 years, I started uh, my last semester of college. And while it's been a rewarding career, the very best part about my job is I learned very early on from a lot of people that were way smarter than I'll ever be how to understand and deal with money. Uh, and I, I, I just can't tell you uh, how invaluable that is. And, and uh, the world is too full of information today. So educate yourself. You're, you're already doing a, a step in the right direction by listening to Alex's podcast and, uh, and, and taking some nuggets out of each episode. The second thing I would encourage you to do if you haven't done it, and, and maybe Alex is something you've already recommended, but um, I would encourage everybody to go out and read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's a book that really helped me change my philosophy on how money works. Uh, and it's written by Robert Kiyosaki. It's still the number one selling personal finance book. Uh, but it breaks down the idea that, look, don't let all these people tell you on how to become rich in life by working for the same company for 30 years, getting your gold watch and investing in a 401k, stock sponsor, mutual funds. And it just walks through why people that are going to be broke will always be broke no matter how much they make. And people that, that build wealth are going to build wealth uh, no matter what they do in their career. And it's a great book and a great story. And if, if you haven't read it, uh, please take the time and go do it. I promise you it'll have a, hopefully a profound impact on your financial life going forward. Absolutely. That's definitely a book that I've appreciated. I've added uh, a couple more to the collection. For those of you that are watching the video, I have my new bookshelf put up. They've all been in boxes since I moved in, you know, about uh, eight months ago. But I finally have a bookshelf and I'm finally able to put them up. So definitely get your hands on some informational materials, do some reading and not just books. You know, we've got books, you've got podcasts, you've got bloggers, you've got everyone and their mother trying to give you free access to this information with a couple disclaimers, of course. But it's all out there. You just have to be willing to go out there and find it, seek it, absorb it. And then with that, you can be in a much better spot two years, five years in the future. Yep. All righty. And then with that, Jason, 
thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really appreciated you having here. This has definitely been an educational podcast, especially for me, because I came into this knowing diddly about self-directed IRAs. And now I feel pretty comfortable and I'm about 27 seconds away from going to hit y'all's website and going to do some reading there. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks, Alex, for having me. And, and thanks for kind of navigating us through uh, through some content today. It's been good fun. Oh, yeah. It's usually messy. We usually go back and forth a couple of times. But you know what? Most of the time, we get to where we're supposed to go. And so with that, everyone, all of his links that he mentioned are going to be in the description below. His email address, the websites, everything. It is all going to be down there. So you're going to have plenty of material for you to go take a look at. And while you're doing that, I will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.